0: I didn't buy you a card this year. The day's not over yet. Stephanie gave me my card last night. That's not Valentine's Day. I told her I'm going to get her card and her flowers today. I just got to stop by Publix. and <laughs> There's so much red out there today. I wore pink. I, I didn't even think about it. I just wore pink. Well, that's kind of valentine a lot of good feedback last week, I was super excited about that, uh, very encouraged by how many people were encouraged by a message of exhortation. <clears throat> we still have the books, there, are, there were 60 last week, they all sold out, that was great news. But I'm sure the people who didn't need to buy it bought it, but <laughs> there's 40 back there, so those of you who think you don't need it, you're the ones who need to buy it this week, so... a pop. Now, we all need it. We all need it, for sure. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm reading through it my either second or third time. It's a wonderful, wonderful book, and if you've started reading it, I I know that you're enjoying uh, the words of Tom Rainer. Uh, Tom Rainer worked with Chuck Lawless, who's a professor professor at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, and they did a 52-church study on church membership. So they are scholars, Southern Baptist Church membership. They are really, really wise concerning the, the times and the way that the church is going. Nine out of 10 churches are not growing. Nine out of 10, that's 90% of churches are not growing. They, they chronicle that in the book, Membership Matters. That's a scary statistic. Millennials, they say, while well, the... the The builder generation counts two-thirds consider themselves Christians of millennials. It is 15% of millennials consider themselves Christian. 85% of them do not identify themselves as Christians. They are the future generation of our country, but they are more than anything the future generation of our church. So, any of those dividing lines that there may be between builders and millennials, we have to tear down those barriers because it is the future of our church. Again, after the service, make sure you pick up a copy. Last week, we pledged to be functioning church members. We pledged that a functioning church member would be one who gives financially to the church, who serves the church by their presence, with their hands. A functioning church member is a member who studies to show themselves as a workman who doesn't need to be ashamed. Yeah, we think that that's only for pastors, but it's for each and every one of us. We learn that each and every one of us has a responsibility to take the gospel and share the gospel in our area of influence. The Lord might not be calling you to the far country, but he is calling you to your immediate area of influence. It might begin in your home. It might begin in your very bed at night where you lean over to your spouse and begin your gospel and your evangelism to that person. But every one of us, as we learned, after the disciples were persecuted in a great persecution, broke out, all of the church members that were dispersed did what? They shared the gospel wherever and with whomever they were around. And that's our goal as a functioning church member, to become a church member in a meaningful way. Today, we're going to talk about unity. Unity is the linchpin to the success of the church. Without it, the church cannot fulfill the great commission to evangelize, baptize, and to catechize to the world. If we don't have unity, the very purpose for our existence now, as the church, is undermined. One of the most confusing things to a new believer is what a denomination is. We are so disunited, to coin a phrase, in the church in the 21st century. And then even within our own denominations, we don't know unity. And then even within our churches that agree the same, with the same things, we don't have unity. The Apostle Paul seems to be aware of how problematic this unity was for the church that in Galatians 5, 19 through 20, right before the famous fruit of the Spirit, he lists the fruit of the flesh and he lists 15 examples Of the fruit of the flesh, which is of course rotten fruit, he lists 15 examples, and eight of the 15 deal with disunity. Eight of the 15 deal with disunity in the church. Jesus said that the love for one another, another way of saying unity, was the very identity marker to the world that we belong to him. If we are united, People will know we belong to Jesus if we're united. That's because Jesus is united with the Father and with the Spirit, and the Spirit with the Father and the Son, and the Father with the Son and the Spirit. They are called a trinity, a tri-unity. That's the fusion of two words, three and one. That's what trinity means, threeness and oneness. And they're not three in the way that they're one, and they're not one in the way that they're three, But they are one. That's the first statement of the Trinity. There are seven statements. And the first one is, God is one. In fact, when God created mankind, he created them in his image to make them one. In a diversity, he wanted to make them united. That is the reflection of God's presence here on earth. Here in the church, we reflect God's image when we increase in our unity. The more we become united, the more we look like God. God demands church unity, says Tom Rainer in chapter 2. And if he's right, and a simple cursory reading of the New Testament and the Bible says that he is completely right that is, that God demands church unity, then any form of disunity in the church is disobedience and cannot be tolerated by any of us, not by the leaders nor by the members. Therefore, we must all pledge to be unifying church members. The sake of our church depends upon it. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would give us a spirit of unity. Lord, while the rest of the world is arguing over whether or not the miraculous gifts of the Spirit continue today, they have overlooked the greater gifts, faith, hope, and love, which is unity. The irony is that these arguments Take us into disunity. And unity is the thing you crave. Lord Jesus, you could have prayed for anything when you prayed for the church. But you prayed specifically that the church would be one as you are one with the Father. Lord, pray for us. Intercede on behalf of this church now. Send your Holy Spirit. Fill this church with your Holy Spirit. Through the unity of the Spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. It's not enough to just begin with the topic of unity. I really think that it boils down, our topic today boils down to two ways of looking at this it is either unity or disunity. There's really no in between. You're not kind of united. If you're kind of united, you're not united. If your hand was kind of hanging on to your arm, it wouldn't be united to it. You'd get that fixed, wouldn't you? If your leg was kind of falling off, you'd get that fixed, wouldn't you? You know, last week we talked about body parts being separate from the body. This week is much worse. You know, when a body part is separate from a body, the body doesn't function like it's supposed to function. It's not as as strong and as powerful as it could be with all of its body parts. But disunity infects the whole body and threatens the integrity of the vessel. At least if you're not here, you're not sowing discord unless you're doing it through the internet or calling on the phone or gossiping. You're at least away. And do us a favor. Do the whole church of Jesus Christ a favor. If you're going to leave the church, leave once and for all and leave our names and our churches out of your mouth. God hates disunity. There are seven things that are an abomination to the Lord. Seven things that six things that the Lord hates, seven that is an abomination, those that sow discord. Let me say this do yourself a favor. Forget us. If you don't like us, fine. You've probably left and left the church of Jesus Christ, not just the local church, but if you've left, if you've left another church, whatever church you leave, if you leave the local or the universal, if you leave, remember this God hates hates when you sow discord. And he stores up wrath for you. So there's unity and there's disunity. If, if, if last week was being away from the church, this is being a part of it, but being an infection, disunity. And you threaten the integrity of the whole. I want to talk about several ways, though, this morning, how we can, how, first, how disunity starts in the church. I want to look at a couple this morning. And I want to look in the positive sense. In other words, I want to give you a proactive prescription for what we can do right now to start with disunity. Very practical, very specific. Number one, cut out the gossip. Cut out the gossip. Well, what is gossip? We, we, some people... We, we're not so sure. If I, if I talk about another person and I gossiping, someone has said that, that gossip and flattery, they kind of work in two different ways. Gossip says something behind somebody's back that you wouldn't say to their face, and flattery says something to someone's face that you wouldn't say behind their back. Right? And Think about how both of those, just for a moment, do not reflect the image of God. Our God doesn't deal with falsehood in any way. He's a God who speaks truth, and when he speaks, is powerful. Our God is a speaking God, but in him is no lie. He is a truth-speaking God. And gossip does not reflect his image. We want a definition. Let's give you some definitions. Oxford, gossip is unsubstantiated reports about people. Well, what if they're substantiated? That's why I don't like gossip or, or Oxford. What if it's a substantiated report that so-and-so has been committing adultery? Should you be telling it? So who cares whether it's unsubstantiated or substantiated? So I don't like Oxford. Aren't I cheeky to take on Oxford already this morning? Some d- Rayner defines it as simply idle talk. I-D-L-E. It doesn't have any any value to it. MacArthur says gossip is vice-enjoyed vicariously. Vice-enjoyed vicariously. The the literal word in the Greek means very simply to whisper. means to whisper. So what's the point of gossip? Why do we do it? We know it's prevalent. When I was reading this, this week in doing my study, boy, was I convicted. And I don't mind telling you that because all, all of us have to be convicted by this. None of us, not your pastor, not your, your deacons, none of us are above this. The point of gossip is to build yourself up by tearing down someone else. I wrote it a little bit better than that. To build yourself up by tearing someone else down. That's what gossip does. Pray for so-and-so. They're struggling. I'm not struggling. They're struggling. They need your prayer. Why not just pray for so-and-so? The point of gossip is to build yourself up by tearing someone else down. But why does it feel so good? Because we can deflect our sinfulness by shining light on the sins of other people. The heart that loves to gossip is a heart that is not secure in the grace of Jesus Christ. Why? If God's grace is sufficient, why do you need to be better in the Christian life than someone else? Why do you need to have a better life and your marriage be better and your way of rearing children better and your overcoming of addiction better and your overcoming of eating disorder better? Why does it have to be better? Why can't you just be enough and secure that you have everything you need in Jesus Christ alone? I had to say that to the mirror this week. Because we all do it. Someone once said, adultery can destroy a marriage and gossip can destroy a church. Think about that for a moment. We spend so much time talking about the sexual sins you would think that the New Testament is only concerned with girls who get girls I said who get pregnant out of wedlock. Yet the Bible spends so much time on gossip. What about the women who gossip about the girl getting pregnant out of wedlock? Amen. Say amen. amen. Why do I have to teach you guys that? <laughs> what about the person who's gossiping? The Bible detests gossip. Gossip causes disunity in the body like nothing else. The Lord forbids gossip in Leviticus 19.6. Proverbs says that the one who spreads strife among the brothers is an abomination to the Lord. Paul mentions gossip among the consequences of the life of those living in the flesh in Romans 1 29 through 30. Eight of the 15 works of the flesh mentioned in Galatians 5 19 through 20 deal with the disunity caused by slander and gossip. The slanderer is the antagonist of the book of Proverbs. So is the sloth, so is the simple minded. James says that the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. And how often do we preach about gossip? How often do we pray for sister so-and-so who struggles with gossip? Listen to the words of Scripture. God hates gossip. Any way we slice it, the Bible tells us that gossip is bad, really bad. So how do we stop it from causing disunity in our church? How do we stop gossip from causing disunity in our church? I'm going to give you several ways. Number one, if it feels like gossip, it probably is. Don't say it. 1 Peter 3.10 says, Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. You want to live a good life. If you want to have a life, however long it's going to be, a life of good days, Peter says, keep your tongue from speaking evil. And gossip is speaking evil. If you have to whisper, it's probably gossip. <laughs> it's a very practical way. The Lord didn't tell me that. I'm telling you it. If you have to say, hey, psst, come here, did you hear? If it starts out with, did you hear? It's gossip, just, just in general. If it begins with, did you hear? It's gossip. If it's about someone else, if it's about someone else, it always has grave, 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 because the Bible says that the mouth are open graves. Romans 3.10, their mouths are open graves. If it is about someone else, it has grave potential to become gossip. The reality is when Peter says whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit, he is thinking about church unity, specifically reviling of one another, saying evil things, slander about one another. And he says, don't repay it if you see it with more of it. Stop it at its source. Start with yourself and shut up your mouth is what he says. Don't be like them. Set the example by shutting up your mouth when gossip starts. Second, rebuke gossip. If you hear it, rebuke it. What does that mean to rebuke? It means to say stop doing that, but you can do it gently. Galatians 6.1 says this. Brothers... If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should mind your own business and never say anything to that person and continue to let them destroy their lives with sin. No, it does not. Thank you, Diane. Speak to me, Diane. It does not say that. We say that. The Bible says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual... That is, those who walk by the fruit of the Spirit. Because that's Galatians 5. This is Galatians 6. You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness and keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. You who are spiritual, that means those who walk according to the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control. Those are the fruit of the Spirit. You who live like that should restore them in a spirit of gentleness. The point of a rebuke is not to embarrass someone. It's not to hurt their feelings. It's not even to correct it. It's to restore them. It is to bring them from that walk in the flesh into the walk of the Spirit. It is not to leave them there. If you see your brother or your sister committing sin, you cannot leave them doing that. But you who are spiritual, restore them gently. Keep watch, though, he says, on yourself, lest you too be tempted. If Paul wasn't specifically speaking of gospel or gossip, it sure does fit. Gossip is one of the easiest sins to be tempted by because it's a secretive, revelatory thing that preys on our desire to see sin in everyone else except ourselves. So Paul says, listen, and again, whether it's gossip or not, Gossip is so easy to get involved with it. Psst. Hey, did you hear? No, I didn't. What happened? Oh, for real? They're they're not. Oh. Thank God I'm not like that. Isn't that how that conversation normally goes? For real? He did that? Thank God I'm not like that. Thank God that ain't happening in my house. Brothers and sisters, the gospel church the united church restores one another in a spirit of gentleness but be careful lest you fall prey to the same sin tom Rayner says you don't have to be harsh in your response to someone if they're gossiping kindly say that you would rather not hear any gossip and you would hope it wouldn't continue to spread you can be a unifier in your church with these simple words Finally, instead of gossip, bless. Instead of gossip, bless. 1 Peter 3.9, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, don't just walk around. If you're a gossip this morning, don't just stop gossiping. That's not enough. You're, you fixed the problem by, by, by quieting down the gossip But are you a source of blessing? That's what we talked about in our pledge last week. Are you a source of blessing? And Peter says, On the contrary, instead of gossiping, replace it with blessing. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. God's people have been called to bless others. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good that we get called to bless others? We have been called to be a blessing to the world. Whether the world knows it or not, we are a blessing to them. They should be grateful for us. Proverbs 16:24 says this: "Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body." It's like a, it's like a source of food. It's like a delicious piece of honey. I'm sure if they had Snickers back then, whoever wrote that proverb would have said, it was like Snickers. Because when I'm out playing golf and I'm starting to wear down, I get a Snickers and it's like, yes, I'm ready to go. The writer of Proverbs says, hey, Solomon says, listen, when you bless people, it's it's like refreshing to their body, man. It changes their psychology. It might even change their physical body. I've seen people be destroyed by words and their physical body look destroyed because of it. Words are, words do hurt. Don't ever that that, that old kid, that old nursery rhyme, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words may never hurt me. Bones heal. But I've seen people live and die by being hurt by words. We're humans. We suffer from words. Bless, don't gossip. If you take these two verses together, it paints a lovely picture of one who sets out on a noble task to bring joy and life to everyone. Not just joy, but life. Proverbs says it it brings health to the body. You could be healing somebody with your positive words. MacArthur says, don't be a a negative person. Be a positive person. Find out this, this week if you're a positive or a negative person. Do you constantly look for the one positive thing in people? Jesus did. He looked at them. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And he had compassion on them. He could have said, they're all here just to get what they want from me, because they're all here to get healed. That's all they're here for. They just want to be healed. Instead, he said, they're like sheep without a shepherd. Show compassion. Words of blessing pour out, poured out of the heart, filled with compassion for others. Words of blessing are coming out. They are poured out of a heart that is filled with compassion for others. And words of blessing share the grace that God shares with us. Colossians 3 9 ends with this. It says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of the Creator. If you want to be renewed in the image of the Creator and reflect Christ's character, be a truth speaker. Bless, don't gossip. Second thing we have to do is we have to break down barriers. What are the barriers in our church? What are they? I don't know. But barriers do this. They separate brothers and sisters from one another, husbands and wives. Think about the great wall that separated between East and West Germany. Family members that were once Uh, Together, brothers separated by a wall. Think about how joyous it was on that day when that wall came down and people were climbing over it. You know, people escaping from East Germany over into West Germany would risk their lives by doing that. The border guards were required by law to shoot anyone escaping over the wall, they would do it because they craved to be united with their loved ones. Do we crave to be united with one another? Break down barriers. I suspect some of them are ageism and racism and sexism and social classism. And all of these are different, but they all have the same heart to them, namely to elevate one group above another. Ageism elevates one particular age group above another. The old think they're better than the young. The young think they're smarter than the old. And neither the two shall ever meet. Stop it. Both groups stop it. I say that in love. Racism elevates one race above another. It says, my race is the only race that does it the right way, or the white way, or the black way. Do you know that in Christ there is no Jew nor Greek? Do you know that in Christ there... I mean, gosh, guys, you guys are making me bed for amens this morning. I said, do you know that in Christ, not not in all of these fancy places that we go to solve racism in this world that have stick figures, red and yellow, black and white holding hands that try and promise some way of of getting together as races apart from Jesus Christ. But in Christ, there is no slave nor free, male nor female, Greek nor Jew in Christ. So how can that be here among us? Sexism elevates the sex one sex above another. <laughs> you know how women are. <laughs> you know how men are. Girls, I didn't hear you laugh on that one. There's this new commercial. I don't know if you saw it. It came out with the with the uh, during the Super Bowl. Not Puppy Monkey Baby, whatever that was. I have had nightmares about Puppy Monkey Baby. But there's this new commercial. It's stereotyping men and women. It's Tarzan and some, I don't think it's Jane, but Tarzan is dumb, man. He's dumb, stubborn. And woman is nagging. She knows everything. And it's stereotyping. And we love it. We think it's funny. It's kind of funny. It's pathetic. Because men, you're not dumb. The devil wants you to be dumb. Look at the TV. Every male figure on the TV is dumb. The devil's so happy with you thinking that your role is to sit on the couch, but it's not. It's to get up and serve. It's to be a leader. Ladies, the devil is so happy with you thinking that you know everything. (laughs) And that your husband is dumb. And while you are vastly smarter than we are, Don't let the devil corrupt your mind either. I didn't hear you say amen, Stephanie. (laughs) She said it in her heart. All, the, all three of these, or whatever the barrier is, they're all born out of a fleshly pride to draw greater self-worth from identifying with a specific class of people. And certainly such things have no place in the church. Paul said to the Philippians, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any, part, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others, every single other, male and female, red and yellow, black and white, every single other. Count them more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. break down barriers so how do we stop all of these isms in our church number 1 we start with ourselves start by looking at yourself you may not be a part of the problem but that doesn't mean that you're a part of the solution you may not intentionally be adhering to any of these issues but what does your life say who do you associate when you're here with, when you, who do you associate with when you're here with us You know your heart. Do you draw your identity from these categories rather than from being one with Christ and his body? Maybe you're not sure. The best thing to do is to immediately counter pride in things to a pride in him. Second, how do we move and break down barriers? Move out of your comfort zone. Move out of your comfort zone. It's fine to have a small group in our church that you're used to fellowshipping with, sitting next to, praying for and with, sharing your lives together. But don't get too comfortable. Think about the amount of people that are in this church right now. If you looked around this church that is supposed to be one body and you counted all of the faces you see How many of these faces could you name? How many of these faces could you name? How many of those faces have you ever talked to, prayed with, eaten with, fellowshiped with? You have to break down the barriers. Don't get comfortable Some of us have been in the same 10-person church for the last 30 years. We never move outside of our comfort zone. Finally, what do we do? We have to be proactive. Don't wait for someone else to come up and talk to you. Go to them. Ask them their name. Ask them about their families. Ask them about their work. Ask them how long they've been coming to this church. Ask them if there's anything that they need for you to pray for them with, etc., etc. You would be surprised and blessed by getting to know some of the people around our church. One of the greatest privileges, and I'm so glad he's here this morning, but one of the greatest privileges I've ever had in this church was riding to work with Russ Roughton. I didn't know this man. He he had been in my church. I had been there for years. He had been here for years. I didn't know him. I said hi to his wife. I said hi to him every Sunday. I didn't know him. I'm young and he's old and he associates with them and I associate with them. I didn't know that this man had lived Life after life. That he flew a plane. That if he wanted ice cream, he'd get in a plane and he and his wife would fly to to Palm Beach. That he owned a successful business. That he's been coming to this church for years and giving to this church for years. I learned about our church. I learned about his family. I learned when he lost life. And I learned how he overcame it. What a blessing it was. And he called me one day and said, can you drive me to work? That meant so much to me. You don't even know how much it meant to me. And I was ashamed that there was a person in my church for years and I didn't know him. I knew their name, but I didn't know him. Break down the barriers. You'll be blessed for it. That's all I can say. Grant forgiveness is the last thing we need to do. We need to grant forgiveness. Holding on to our grudges feels so good. That's one of the reasons we like to do it. Another reason why we like to do it is because we feel that in some way we're getting back back at a person who has hurt us. We're foolish enough to think that by not granting forgiveness to a person that they're in some way affected by unforgiving hearts. But they're not. The church is, but they're not. So many times people aren't even aware when you're mad at them. They don't even know it. Grant forgiveness. You're wasting your time and your energy rotting away in your own rebellious heart of unforgiveness. Rotting. But unforgiveness is a powerful tool of the devil. And it's funny how that happens. It's funny that it happens like this. The devil portrays God as this unforgiving, megalomaniacal, cosmic killjoy waiting to zap us every time we do something bad. But God says, I'm waiting to forgive you right now. I'm knocking at your heart, man. Your rotten, dead heart. And I will come into you I will forgive you. Just repent of your sins. I'll I'll give you my spirit. I'll give you my son. I'll call you. I'll even call you my son. You and I will be one. We will have that fellowship that Adam and Eve lost for you. That's our God. The devil? His name is accuser. He loves not forgiving. He is quick to accuse you of your sin and your unrighteousness and to hold it against you forever. And he would love nothing more than to watch you fry with him. Should our church be an unforgiving church? No. Our church must be eager to forgive. How can we become a church that's eager to forgive? Number one, recognize your own need for forgiveness recognize your own need for forgiveness. Matthew 18, Peter. Jesus, how many times do I need to say, how how many times do I need to forgive my brother? Seven times? A whopping seven times? You know what? Peter needed an amazing forgiveness, didn't he? A forgiveness that he didn't have, that we don't know about until the last chapter of John, where Jesus singles Peter out, the resurrected Jesus, and he says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Up until that time, Peter's saying, Of course I do. Peter has forgotten that he needs forgiveness, he has forgotten that he forsook his Savior, his Lord. To save his own neck. It says that Jesus asked Peter three times, and on the third time, Peter began to be discouraged. Peter needed forgiveness, and the Lord gave it to him. That very story is followed up by a parable of an unmerciful servant who needed forgiveness from a king for a debt he couldn't pay back and who was unwilling to give it back to another servant. And when the king heard that story that that unmerciful servant who had been given a greater forgiven of a greater debt did not forgive of the lesser debt, he was thrown into prison until he could pay it back off, which is what he never could pay it off. Recognize your own need for forgiveness number two tell others when they've hurt you you have to tell others when they've hurt you matthew eight fifteen says this if your brother sins against you go and tell him his fault between you and him alone between you and him alone that's one way to get rid of gossip if someone's hurt you don't talk about it with five other people go to him alone if he listens to you you've gained your brother Isn't that good news? If he says, you know what, I'm sorry I hurt you. Can we be brothers again? Yeah, of course we can. Let's restore our fellowship. Number three, everyone must be quick to reconcile. Folks, if someone comes to you and says, brother, I have sinned against you, I am sorry, you have no right to withhold forgiveness to that person. If they have sought it, you must grant it. Or you, listen to me, please. If you don't, you don't get it from Jesus. Do you really believe that? It's what the Bible says, isn't it? Why do I need to bring in a Greek scholar to tell me that's what it says? If you don't grant it, you don't get it. everyone must be quick to reconcile. Reconciliation requires that everyone be prepared to say, I'm sorry, when they've hurt someone else. Just say, I'm sorry. It ends the situation. If you get defensive, oh, it's going to go on. Just say, I'm sorry. I didn't see it that way. I'm sorry. Let's be restored. Finally, if a person doesn't know they've hurt you, either tell them or let it go. If a person does not know they've hurt you, either tell them or let it go. Maybe I've offended you. Please come and tell me. If I have, please tell me. I I can't say I'm sorry. I can't say I didn't say that. If I did, if you come to me and you say, you offended me, give me an opportunity to to tell you what happened and, and, and to reconcile with you and to say, I'm sorry if I've done wrong to you. If you're not willing to do that, though, let it go. Forget about it. If you're not willing to do it, you have to let it go. Your prayers will be hindered if you don't, the Bible says. Tom Rainer says, unity in the church will not happen if members have unforgiving hearts. Too many times members have anger and hurt because of something another, been angered or hurt by something another member has said or done. Some members are angry and hurt at the pastor and staff because of something they said or did or failed to do. Each local church is made up of imperfect members and imperfect pastors. We will make mistakes. We will all sin. Yes, we are all hypocrites. Church unity is torn apart, though, when members refuse to, give, for, to forgive and when any member is too prideful to grant forgiveness. Finally, we have to be a source of unity. We have to be a source of unity. John 13, 35 says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Are we eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit? Colossians 3, 9b through 11. You have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self with which you are being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. When you sing Christ alone in this church, sing so with a spirit of unity. I got up this morning and I read. I like to read blogs. Before I start to write, I like to read other good writers. It inspires me to write. I saw this blog for Valentine's Day. It's on Gospel Coalition. If you're ever looking for a good blog page, the Gospel Coalition is one. I saw this. I thought it was cute. 50 ways to love your church. Many of these deal with unity. Love and unity are the same. Show up for worship, number one. Sing heartily, number two. Say amen. I'm looking at you, fellow Presbyterians. (laughs) That's actually what it says. (laughs) Pray for church members. So so you want practical. How How do I start unity today? The pastor didn't tell me what I can do to unite. Let me tell you. Show up for worship. Sing heartily. Say amen. Pray for church members. Pray with church members. Let them pray for you. Weep with them. Rejoice with them. I love this. Learn people's names. And if they forget, just say, it's Andrew. It's Bobby. Or lie to them and tell them it's another name and have fun with them. (laughs) I love this one. How do you love your church? How can you unite? Introduce yourselves so they can learn your name. Use your gifts. Well, I play the piano? Okay, that's not a spiritual gift. It's not. Encouragement is. We don't have to have a slot open for you to play piano for you to use your spiritual gift. You can start by encouraging. Say hi to the children. Teach a Sunday school. Volunteer for the nursery. I said volunteer for the nursery. Send a thank you note. Love Christ. Lead a Bible study. Put your tithe in the offering plate. Bring your children for baptism. Take and eat at the Lord's table. Forgive. Speak well of your elders. Do what your pastor preaches. Invite another family over for lunch. Sandwiches and chips are just fine. Sit in a different, I mean, I didn't, you think I would write this. Sit in a different pew. I don't know. The, downstairs is getting a little bit fuller. You guys are great, too. I love you guys. Sit, this is what it says. Sit in a different pew. Sit in a different pew closer to the front. She must be, whoever, the woman who wrote this, I think her name is uh, Megan Smith. She must be a pastor's wife. No, seriously, she must be because only a pastor's wife would know that these are things that nag a pastor. It nags me, and it nagged your pastor before that that area right there is bald. Sometimes he can't look further up and see everybody upstairs, but this area is bold. You've heard all three of your pastors talk about it. No, it's not for me. I'm not a down. I'm not Gallagher. I'm not going to be smashing watermelons. <laughs> this isn't the splash zone. <laughs> Sit in a different pew closer to the front. Introduce people to each other. I love doing that one. Hey, did you know this? Don't complain about the attendance or the music or the coffee. Attend their midweek meetings. Attend their midweek meetings. Stay for fellowship lunch, potluck, dinner on the grounds. Bring a dish. Offer to clean up after the fellowship lunch, potluck, dinner on the grounds. Talk to the people on the margins. Make a note of phone numbers. Make a note of food allergies. Invite someone to church. Say hi to a teenager. Offer to hold a baby. Pick up a discarded bulletin, communion cups, or wadded Kleenex. Organize a community outreach. Just listen to someone. Use your connections to help someone find a job. Use your connections to help someone find a spouse. Watch out for children in the parking lot. No, no, I'm serious. This woman is definitely a pastor's wife. 'cause only a pastor's wife would know that every 50 of these are things that nag me. And I'm so glad someone other than me said it. Pray with the sick, give to the needy, smile. Be the per, oh be the first person through the church door. In other words, be on time. And be the last person out. Pastor left me with nothing to unite the church. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Can't say that this week. Finally, let's take the pledge. I don't need this pledge to be put in the offering plate. Please don't. Keep it with you. You don't have to write. It's in your bulletin. It's in the bulletin if you have it. You don't have to sign your name to the pledges. We're not compelling you to. We are challenging you to. Here's what the church pledge says for number two. I will seek to be a source of unity in my church. A source of it. That means that people can come to you and you are going to be a source of unity. I know there are no perfect pastors, staff or other church members, but neither am I. I will not be a source of gossip or dissension. One of the greatest contributions I can make is to do all I can in God's power to help keep the church in unity for the sake of the gospel. Let's pray. Lord, your Holy Spirit can unite us. Some of us might be so challenged that we can't sign this, Lord God. I pray that your Holy Spirit would break that heart. I pray that your Holy Spirit would mend that heart. I pray that your Holy Spirit would mend this church. I pray that feuds would die. I pray that we would be reconciled. And I pray that we would demonstrate that we belong to you by how we love and unite with one another. Call this on you, Lord Jesus. Send your Holy Spirit to unite us. Fill us with your Holy Spirit this morning. Fill us, Holy Spirit, with unity. Amen. Would you stand with us as we close and